I want you to grab your Bible or your device and turn with me to Hebrews. Hebrews is towards the back of the New Testament. If you're new to the Scriptures, there's a, I know there's always people here that are seeking and, and uh, are new to the faith. Uh, uh, the Bible is broke up into two sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The New Testament tells us about the coming of Christ and then letters written to the churches. And Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament. So uh, find Hebrews, and we're going to be in chapter 10. <clears throat> chapter 10, and uh, we're going to pick it up in verse 19 here in just a moment, so, so find that, um, if you would. And um, I always encourage you, you know, jot down notes. I, the, it's been said that the shortest pencil is better than the, the longest memory. And uh, just jotting down some notes sometimes, it never fails that if I journal something during the course of a day somewhere it will come out in a conversation. So God, God doesn't waste breath. He is, he is always speaking. And so I want, I want to encourage you as you grow in your faith, don't, don't hesitate to, to write down and mark things that are going to help you. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, and uh, through, through verse 25. If, if I get, uh, let me just kind of forewarn you that if I get a phone call here in just a minute, don't, don't be disturbed. It's, uh, Jim Rowan calling me from Jordan. So, um, We'll, we'll break for that. Hebrews 10:19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to kind of unpack this here in just a moment as we talk about this thing called community. We've been been into it for a couple of weeks, and this is the third week into it. And so uh, I want to use this as a springboard to help you because I think God has an incredible word for you today. I grew up in Waco, uh, not too far from here. Went to university high school, and uh, I played football there. Believe it or not, I was a, a all-district linebacker. You don't have to believe that, but it's the truth. And um, and played there, and we weren't a great football team, but I had fun. I, I, I really enjoyed football. I'm still paying for it today, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And it was, I think what I enjoyed most about it was it was hard work, it was camaraderie, it was discipline, it taught you leadership, it taught you about a lot of things. And and, uh, and I know there's, there's uh, physical liabilities with that, so I'm not talking you moms into letting your kid play football. Um, no, I was going to say something else, but I better not. I better not say. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. And, and playing linebacker on defense, the reason I chose to do that is I would rather hit somebody than get hit. Is kind of the way I looked at it. So it got that aggression out. It was a fun thing for me to do. And uh, I played middle linebacker, so I was kind of the quarterback of the defense. Got to call a got to call the plays. Got to uh, for our defense. Got to call out certain things that we were going to do and that kind of stuff. And so it was, it was good leadership for me. But uh, many things I remember, there were some, some good times and some horrific times. Um, 
everybody wanted us for their homecoming. I couldn't figure out why. Uh, but it was kind of the way it, it worked. But I, but I do remember one particular time, and I don't know why this sticks out in my mind so much, but of all the, all the times, I, I still remember this particular thing. Uh, we were, we were going to be playing, uh, Dallas High School called Wilmer Hutchins High School. And, um, and, and they ran back in those days what was called a veer offense. This was before a lot of the, the spread stuff in which they would, they would have been option. And, uh, the, the quarterback could either hand it to the fullback or he could go on down and keep the ball himself or he could pitch to the tailback who was coming around. And they, they were very good at it. And this is what they did. So we studied it all week long and, and, and this was the tackles assignment. This was the ends assignment. This was the linebackers assignment, the cornerbacks. This would be the assignment on what you're going to be doing, and this is where their strength is, and that's where it's going to be. And so me, part of my role we chose that week would be the – some of you ladies could care less about this, but it's a good point that I'm about to make. The the tackles would stop the initial – uh, fullback coming through. So the quarterback, if he, if that was pinched off, he would, he would keep the ball and go to the outside. And then the ends would cut him off at that point. And so my role as the middle linebacker, it was to, uh, to slide down the line. Obviously, if the guy came through to make the tackle here, but eventually is, is that if the end shut him off, I would be able to come all the way around the corner and, and, oh, there he is. I, I, remind me to come back to the story. Jim, Jimbo, Jim, oh, it ended, here honey, in case he were to call back, okay, all right, okay, let's show the video again so that I can get back in, in my place, um, so here's here's my role, I'm in the middle uh, we had real complicated signals like, I think he's going that way, and uh, things like that, those good code words. And so here, I just remember the play, and it couldn't have worked more to perfection. The quarterback turned, the, the tackles did their thing, which, which made him keep the ball, and, the, and so I'm skating along the, the sideline, the, 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 the line of scrimmage. The ends stopped the quarterback, so he made the pitch, and I was able to come around and, and make the tackle for a loss. And uh, I didn't get to make too many tackles for losses in my career, but I, that's probably why I remember. But I remember everything just worked, and I can still see it in my head that we had practiced all week, and all of a sudden all the flow and everything worked perfectly when everybody did their assignment. If somebody broke down on their assignment, then that meant that guy was going to be gone, if I, or if I got cut off and getting out there. But because everybody did their assignment perfectly, and it, all of a sudden there was a stop for a loss, and I and I think one of the reasons I, I like that so much, it's because I, I, love, I love the aspect of community where when everybody is doing what they're supposed to be doing, everything functions correctly. And, and we look at the New Testament. That's why the church is called the body of Christ, because everybody has different functions and giftings. And when all of those things work together, then we see God's kingdom get established more than ever. But what happens... So often in our day, and we know this, is there's a breakdown somewhere. There, there's a breakdown that happens. And, and usually what happens is, is people isolate. Instead of coming together for community, 
they isolate. And, and the enemy is really good about this. He will let you get your feelings hurt or something didn't go your way. And then what happens is, is you isolate instead of pulling together and saying, okay, we need to reconcile. We need to get forgiveness. We need to go. No, we isolate and we pull away. And what happens is, is the enemy has fractured the community. And, uh, and community, let me give you a little bit of a definition so you know what we're working with here, is community is being unified or having common union. That makes sense. The word we use so often in church circles is the word fellowship. We're going to have a fellowship, but it's so much more than just punch or cookies or whatever, pizza. It is communion. It's to live with, to share, to be in union. It's a bonding that has happened over a mutual relationship or mutual bringing together. I heard one guy say it this way. He said the definition of fellowship is two people in the same boat going the same direction. I like that because if you've ever, Pam and I have kayaked in a double kayak before and, and we were not having fellowship uh, because, you know, you've got to work together going the same direction is what you're doing and that is fellowship. It, it's being in the same ship or same boat going the same direction and that's what community is. It's people who gather around a certain communion that comes that brings them together and you move together and uh when this happens it is beautiful but when it doesn't happen or it fractures it gives a poor picture in our day and uh what i want to talk to you about in the scriptures i want to unpack it a little bit because the writer here is giving a beautiful picture on on the desire for Christ followers. All of the New Testament, you know, was written to the church so that we would mature in our faith. Nobody's reached it, okay? Look at the person next to you and say, you haven't reached it. And uh, because we haven't reached it yet. We're still in process. We're growing is, is, is what is taking place. So let's, let's look at what the Scripture says. In verses 19 through 23 here, he's talking about draw near to God. We need to draw near to God. And I know somebody can say, well, Mark, God drew near to us by sending Christ. It's all in him. Yeah, but you look at the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. He um, he was always pushing that it's pressing on. It's drawing closer to. I want to know him. It was always a process that's happening. And the writer to Hebrews says the same thing. Draw near to God. Well, how do we draw near to God? And he gives a beautiful picture here, and I want to try to get you to understand it a little bit. In the Old Testament worship of the Jews, they worshiped God, but they worshiped him through a, uh, a complex known as the temple. Okay? Now, the temple, the way it was built is you had an outer court where the, the Gentiles, non-Jewish people could go, and the women could go. And then you would have one a little bit closer that men could go to. I'm not here to talk about womanhood and manhood right now. That's not where I'm going on this, but I'm just trying to describe the temple to you, where the men could go a little bit deeper. And then you would come to the place of being able to make your sacrifice up into the court where the priest would be. They would take your sacrifice. They would uh, put it on the altar. And then what would happen is, is now you go into the complex a little bit farther, and there's a place called the holy place, okay? So the priest would take the sacrifice, he would go into the holy place, and the holy place you had the, the candles in there, you had the showbread and the incense, and then what you would do is the one guy, the high priest, 
would take that sacrifice. He would go beyond this huge curtain, this huge veil that was there. He would go behind it once a year, go into what was called the Holy of Holies, and he would go in there and he would offer the uh, the blood of the sacrifice on what's called the mercy seat. You had the Ark of the Covenant, which had the, the until uh, Harrison Ford found it, it was there that uh, you would have the Ten Commandments in there. You would have everything there and it had the mercy seat on the top and he would apply the blood and he would come back out and the people would say, yes, God accepted the sacrifice and, and we're forgiven. So there was this transition, this moving into a closer presence with God. And, and, and what the writer is saying here is he's saying through Jesus, through his very life that he gave, all of mankind by faith through Christ has access to the very throne room of God, to the very holy of holies. You remember when Jesus died on the cross, <coughs> he said it is finished, that that curtain tore from top to bottom, ripped completely in two, showing that all men now had access to the very presence of God by faith. And that's what the writer is saying here. He's saying, draw near to God. Don't stay in the outer courts uh, uh, spiritually, but draw near to God. But here's the deal. It's not automatic. you got to draw near. And what's scary for so many people is, I don't want to get that close to God. I want to stay on the outskirts instead of drawing close into his presence. And the, and the writer is saying here, you really want to experience all God has for you? Draw near to God. Draw near to him. And if community, <clears throat> see, this is that common ground of community that brings everybody together. You, you want to know what brings everybody together? It's not because you're human beings. It's not because you want to have the same kind of food or you like everything the same. It's built around Jesus Christ, okay? That is what your community is built around. If we had a 100 uh, pianos in this room, okay, and we want to tune the pianos, well, you don't tune the pianos to each other. Because that could create discord, because what if one's out of tune, then the next one's going to be out of tune. You have someone who has the exact tuning fork or the exact tuning that takes place, and all of them are tuned to that one instrument. When you have community, just because you put a bunch of Christians in the same room doesn't mean you have community if it's not built around tuning ourselves according to Jesus Christ. Because what happens is is that you... Let's, let's take a small community of five people. Five people who are gonna truly have Christian community or that Christian fellowship that is there. You don't focus on one another initially. You focus on drawing near to Christ. And as each individual draws near to Christ, they automatically grow closer to one another. Okay? This is about community in Jesus Christ. And that's why we talk about it. You have to have it. It, 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 you need you need it for your walk with Christ. And that's what he is saying is draw near to God because you have assurance that that can happen, okay? Now, in verse 24, though, is, is where I want to camp just for a moment, where, where number two would be this. Number one is draw near to God. Number two is this, draw near to others. Because look what he says in verse 24, and you can mark in your Bibles there. He says, and let us consider, that means it's a continuous thinking out. Let us always be continuously thinking out how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, the word spur here is a good word um, for you that you, you, you ride horses and, and, you know, you have those spurs on. That horse knows you have spurs on because you spur him to, to do what you want to do and hope he doesn't buck because you 
angered him, but that spurring is actually an irritant to get him to move. And it's the same thing here, but a loving irritant. Let us consider how we can have, can lovingly irritate each other so that you can grow in your faith. Now I know some of you are good at that, but, but it's a loving irritant that you move forward towards love and good deeds, which you were created for in the first place. And so that is what, what the writer is saying. We, 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 we see how we can push towards one another, encouraging them as they move towards love and good deeds and not giving up the meeting of, of, together. Because some had started to drop away from the regular gatherings. And we still see that today. I mean, it's not new today, but for some reason, people choose to isolate. They get their feelings hurt. They get a little dry in their faith. Something's happened. And you look around and say, man, where, where are they at? They're not here anymore. Oh, they've gone to another church. Or they, hey, we just hadn't seen them. Or somebody says, I don't know. That's not good because we, we need them. But I want to share with you what I think. And then, and then he says, until the day draws near. This is the day of Christ's return that he's talking about. I want to share with you four things that I think community um, gives to you that are, that are hugely important. And I, <clears throat> let me just share these with you. There's just four of them. The first one is this. Community, which I just described, sharpens us to be more like Jesus. Community sharpens us to be more like Jesus. It, it, is, it is a way God has chosen to use other people that will make you more like Christ. To, you know, as iron sharpens iron. There's a sharpening that happens when you're with other people who love you and that will spur you on to love and good deeds. They won't let you stay the way you are. They love you unconditionally and they're going to push you on. That We learn and grow uh, as, we, as we come together. We find encouragement to keep on going. There, listen, let's all be honest enough to say there's days we want to quit. We just want, we just, we get tired. We just want to quit. And if someone doesn't have the guts to stay, to encourage you to keep on going, then there's probably a chance you'll just go to the side of the road and quit. But you've got to keep on going. And, 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 and the encouragement that comes from community is that thing that's going to sharpen you to keep on going. There was a man by the name of Robert Manry. And Robert Manry, on May 24th, 1965, he took his 13 and a half foot boat and he left Falmouth, Massachusetts, and it would be the smallest craft to ever make the voyage from the United States mainland all the way to England, across the Atlantic. He didn't tell many people that he was about to do this, but he really told his wife that he was about to do this. And small, small group of people. He left. Needless to say, it was a treacherous voyage. If he hadn't had tied himself to the boat itself, he got thrown overboard, and he would have never got back on if he hadn't had tied himself to it. I mean, it became a, a really uh, tough time getting across. But what happened is, like I told you, he had told his wife everything that's going on. And he had told a few others. And what the wife did, he just figured that he would go up to England and uh, he would make it and uh, he would just go and rest and that would be the end of it. Exhausted, wondering why he even did it in the first place. But as he got closer, he noticed that his wife and these close companions he had, they had spread the word and there were thousands of people to welcome him as he came into England. And the thought that I have about that is that, listen, there are times you want to quit. I know there are. 
And there are times you just want to go to the side of the road and say, I'm going to let somebody else do it. But it was community that kept you going. You need that. You need other people that are going to sharpen you to be more like Christ. Here's the second one. Second one is this. Community provides need and protection. Community provides need and protection. Um, encouragement comes from community. They, they won't allow you to run off. They, they will protect you from the world. When you want to drift off, when, you, when your marriage starts to get a little rocky and things like this, you need somebody that's going to call you into account and protect you from going that direction. And this is so often what we need. We need protection. I, 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 I've said this before that accountability is okay, but I know I'm going to mess up. I need somebody that's going to protect me from drifting into those areas I'm weak in. And that's where community comes in, you know, the protection so that the world doesn't suck you in. And, and, and this is what we do. And I think, God, please forgive us. When somebody starts going through a hard time, instead of reaching out there and bringing them back in and protecting them from the world, we have a tendency to talk about them. Man, have you seen what they're going through? Man, I'm glad that's them and not me. And No, that's not what they need. We, they need somebody to reach out and say, man, I love you. I know you're struggling. I love you. And we need that kind of protection. There was a man who had, like so, so often happens, he had, he had drifted away from worship. He had quit going to worship on a regular basis. And the pastor in this small town went to visit him. So he goes into the house and they sit down. He offers him some coffee and they sit down around a, a fire that's, that's blazing there. And they just began to talk. The guy who had kind of drifted off from church kind of defended himself and, and uh, you know, just, just didn't see the need. The pastor's kind of thinking, what do I do now? So he, he had this idea, so he took the poker and he took some of the coals that were in the middle of the blaze and he pulled them off to the side and just put the poker back there and they began to drink their coffee again. Well, what happened is, is those coals that got pulled away from the blaze, they started to die out. And all of a sudden, the guy got the picture. He knew that when he was a part of all that was going on, that God that there was a blaze happening in his life. But just like those coals, when there's pulled away, that there's a coldness that comes. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have, you have experienced that coldness, and you defend yourself. That church, I don't, I'm not sure they even love me at that church. They really don't want me at that church. I mean, it's amazing the lies we'll tell ourselves. It is amazing what they are. And then what happens is, is our heart just grows cold and grows cold and grows cold. But, you know, you come back together and there's something about community that fans into flame. And you've heard me say it before. I don't know, 300 of you in this room, you can still not be in community. You need those people in your life, though. They're going to protect you and call you back into account that's there. So the two we have so far is community sharpens us to be more like Jesus. Number two, community provides need and protection. Number three is this. Community moves your eyes off of yourself. Community moves your eyes off of yourself. This is huge. We live in the most self-absorbed, selfish culture that has ever existed in the history of mankind. At least that's what a lot of sociologists says. Because you just look at our day, and I've said this before, that we believe the most important thing on all of the information in the world on the computer is our Facebook page. 
And we just look at that and, and we are self-absorbed. All the world revolves around me, right? That's what we think. When you're in true Christian community, all of a sudden your eyes aren't on you, but they are on others. In fact, if you go back and read 24 and 25, verses 24 and 25 there, he doesn't say one thing about what you're going to get out of it. He says that this is what we are supposed to do for one another. It's all those hundreds of one another's that we're to do in Scripture. He doesn't say anything here about you go to a small group and you're going to feel good about yourself. You go to a small group and, and you're going to do this. No, he says you go and see what you can give so that others are helped. See, that's what we need. We need to get our eyes off ourselves and look to see how we can help others. It's not what you can get. You think back in your life. You think about the people that you most respected in life, I would tell you is probably not what they, what they kept, but what they gave away. It's how they took care of others. And the writer says nothing about what the group will do for you, but it speaks entirely of what we can do for one another. We see others' people's needs and we step in and we meet them and we encourage them until Christ returns. General William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, the whole Salvation Army premise was to take care of widows and orphans and the, 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 those that were treated unjustly and, and the poor and all these kind of people. And uh, it became such an ex- a success, the Salvation Army. God just used it in incredible ways. And uh, General William Booth was wanted to speak all over the place, but when he got older and ill, he was asked to come speak at a, at a particular gathering. He could not make it, but he wrote down on a piece of paper, paper something that he wanted to share with the people. And they took that piece of paper, and when they stood up in front of the group, the only thing that General William Booth had wrote on there was the word others. In other words, it's not about self. It's about what you can do for others. That's not something we like to hear in our culture. Because we want to, we're consumers, man. We want to know what's in it for me. What am I going to get out of this? You know, instead of coming and saying, God, how can you use me to make a difference? And listen, I'm not saying everybody in your community group is going to be your favorite friend in the world. But, but God will, will use that to get your eyes off yourself to help them become more like Christ. Okay? Fourth one, last one. If you're taking notes, community sharpens us to be more like Jesus. Community provides need and protection. Community moves your eyes off yourself. And then the fourth one is this. Community empowers your relationship with God. Community empowers your relationship with God. You may remember when Jesus um, was about to ascend, he told them to go and pray and that they would become witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the world. The word they will become means they would become empowered, that, that God would use them uh, in, in who they were. And this is what I love about the body of Christ is that it's called the body. It's called the body. It's called the bride in the New Testament. It's called the building, not the structure, but the building of the blocks together. In other words, not everybody's the same. And I love that. If everybody was like me, good night, we'd, we'd have a vanilla world. I love the cur- curves. I love the color. I love, I love the, the different personalities. I love the different passions. I love the different giftings. And, and, and I don't sit around 
saying, man, I, I wish I was more like them and this kind of stuff. I mean, we all play those games of comparative at times. But I, look, I just love to see how creative God is. You know, they're so outgoing. They're, 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 man, they're kind of quiet, but their deep waters, you know, run still. I mean, it's good stuff. You just see all of the all the diversity that Christ came together. But how do we experience that if we don't have community together? Because it seems like there was a time in Christian history when, when Christians used to, the, the, back in the monastic age, when the, they would pull away and go out into the wilderness and we're just going to spend all our time with God and make no impact on the world is what happened. I think God wants to use community to empower us to make impact upon the world. And He uses us differently. And that's what he does. Some he's gifted in incredible ways, but you're not going to know that if you're not in special community with other people. I share this with you from an old Peanuts cartoon. I love this. Peanuts, as, as most of you have ever read or, or some of you grew up with, Lucy had a brother named Linus. And Lucy demanded her brother Linus to change the TV channel and then threatened him with her fist if he didn't. Linus said, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? She said, these five fingers. Individually, they are nothing. But when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus said, what channel you want? And then he turned away and he looked at his own hand and he says, why can't you guys get organized like this? <laughs> and I think what's cool about that is that that's what community is. Not everybody's alike. Good night. It's just that we come together around the commonality. We draw near to God. He uses all those giftings together and we see the incredible impact that is made for the kingdom. But let's be honest, in our day, what has spoke more loudly than our impact of working together has been the fracture of the body of Christ. God, pull us together. Pull us together. One last thing. Brett, y'all can come on up. One last thing. I was just thinking about this a little bit, and the Lord took me to 1 Corinthians 14. And let me just speak about this real quick, and I'm, I'm wrapping up. People a lot of times will say to me, Mark, I want to, we need to be a New Testament church. And I thought, okay, do you want to be the church that Ananias and Sapphira got fried on the carpet? Let's be that church, okay? You'll have a new pastor pretty quick at that point. And I thought, okay, you want to be the church in Philippi where two women were battling over stronghold in the church? Or you want to be the church in Corinth, okay, that was having immorality pretty rampant in the church? Every church has its ups and downs, and even in the New Testament. But in the church in Corinth, Paul, who wrote the letter thousands of years ago, he's addressing their need. And part of their need was is their worship was fractured, okay? He spoke about the gifts in the church and how it was kind of messed up in, in some ways, and it was disturbing. It was creating a circus environment instead of true worship. And he talks about... Um, the ecstatic utterances of tongues that were there, and then he talks about prophecy that was there, and, and he, and he to, to clear up the problem they have, he says, I would rather speak words of intelligence that work, that are not understandable, 
for the sake of, of the gospel that's taking place. And so he speaks to them about these prophetic words. And we say, what are prophetic words? Are they these mystical words that come? He, he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14. He says the words of prophecy are words for edification and building up. And, and, and this is what they're for. I mean, man, the great words. And then he starts talking about if we would share these intelligible words that people who come into our gatherings uh, are going to hear this. And this is what he says. I think it's a, I think it's a great word. He says, but if all prophesy, in other words, if all speak these intelligent words and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all the secrets of his heart are, are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and he will declare that God is really among you. I often think, what would be the best compliment that Central could ever get? Would it be that, man, our worship band is really good? Would it be that our youth ministry is really good? Or our kids' ministry is really good? Or, or you know, the preaching is, is, is good? What, what, I often think, what would be the greatest compliment? Let me tell you the greatest compliment would be if somebody came in and they said, you know, God is really among them. That is the greatest compliment. And that's what Paul is saying. In true community, people see that God is among you. Now, next week I'm going to talk a little bit more specific in some things. But hear me today. A room of 300 doesn't mean you're having community. A room of 20 in a Bible fellowship or small group may not mean you're having community. But it's a start. It's a start. You need to find a Bible fellowship or a small group or a ladies group or a quilting group or a men's group or whatever it is, you need to find where you can you can exercise in the body of Christ in such a way that they spur you on to Christ. And I guarantee you people will say, you know, God is with them.